Letter three of Clarissa Harlow, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. The History of Clarissa Harlow, Volume two, by Samuel Richardson. Letter three. Miss Howe to Miss Clarissa Harlow, Tuesday morning, seven o'clock. My mother and cousin are already gone off in our chariot and four attended by their doughty squire on horseback, and he by two of his own servants and one of my mother's. They both love parade when they go abroad, at least in compliment to one another, which shews that each thinks the other does. Robin is your servant and mine, and nobody's else, and the day's all my own. I must begin with blaming you, my dear, for your resolution not to litigate for your right, if occasion were to be given you. Justice is due to ourselves, as well as to everybody else. Still more must I blame you for declaring to your aunt and sister that you will not, since, as they will tell it to your father and brother, the declaration must needs give advantage to spirits who have so little of that generosity for which you are so much distinguished. There never was a spirit in the world that would insult where it dared, but it would creep and cringe where it dared not. Let me remind you of a sentence of your own, the occasion for which I have forgotten that little spirits will always accommodate themselves to the temper of those they would work upon, will fawn upon a sturdy-tempered person, will insult the meek. And another given to Miss Biddulph, upon an occasion you cannot forget. If we assume a dignity in what we say and do, and take care not to disgrace by arrogance our own assumption, everybody will treat us with respect and deference. I remember that you once made an observation which you said you was obliged to Mrs. Norton for, and she to her father, upon an excellent preacher who was but an indifferent liver, that to excel in theory and to excel in practice generally required different talents, which did not always meet in the same person. Do you, my dear, to whom theory and practice are the same thing in almost every laudable quality, apply the observation to yourself in this particular case, where resolution is required, and where the performance of the will of the defunct is the question, no more to be dispensed with by you, in whose favour it was made, than by anybody else who have only themselves in view, by breaking through it. I know how much you despise riches in the main, but yet it behoves you to remember that in one instance you yourself have judged them valuable, in that they put it into our power to lay obligations, while the want of that power puts a person under necessity of receiving favours, receiving them perhaps from grudging and narrow spirits, who know not how to confer them with that grace which gives the principal merit to a beneficent action. Reflect upon this, my dear, and see how it agrees with the declaration you have made to your aunt and sister, that you would not resume your estate, were you to be turned out of doors, and reduced to indigence and want. Their very fears that you will resume, point out to you the necessity of resuming upon the treatment you meet with. I own that at first reading I was much affected with your mother's letter, sent with the patterns. A strange measure, however, from a mother, for she did not intend to insult you, and I cannot but lament that so sensible and so fine a woman should stoop to so much art as that letter is written with, and which also appears in some of the conversations you have given me an account of. See you not in her passiveness what boisterous spirits can obtain from gentler, merely by teasing and ill-nature? I know the pride they have always taken in calling you a Harlow, Clarissa Harlow, so formal and so set at every word, when they are grave or proudly solemn. Your mother has learnt it of them and as in marriage, so in will, has been taught to bury her own superior name and family in theirs. 
I have often thought that the same spirit governed them, in this piece of affectation, and others of the like nature, as Harlow Place, and so forth, though not the elder brother's or paternal seat, as governed the tyrant Tudor, who marrying Elizabeth, the heiress of the house of York, made himself a title to a throne, which he would not otherwise have had, being but a base descendant of the Lancaster line, and proved a gloomy and vile husband to her, for no other cause than because she had laid him under obligations which his pride would not permit him to own. Nor would the unprincely wretch marry her, till he was in possession of the crown, that he might not be supposed to owe it to her claim. You have chidden me, and again will, I doubt not, for the liberties I take with some of your relations. But, my dear, need I tell you, that pride in ourselves must, and for ever will, provoke contempt, and bring down upon us abasement from others? Have we not, in the case of a celebrated bard, observed, that those who aim at more than their due, will be refused the honours they may justly claim? I am very much loath to offend you, yet I cannot help speaking of your relations, as well as of others, as I think they deserve. Praise or dispraise is the reward or punishment which the world confers or inflicts on merit or demerit, and for my part I neither can nor will confound them in the application. I despise them all, but your mother. Indeed I do, and as for her, but I will spare the good lady for your sake. And one argument, indeed, I think may be pleaded in her favour in the present contention. She who has for so many years, and with such absolute resignation, borne what she has borne to the sacrifice of her own will, may think it an easier task than another person can imagine it, for her daughter to give up hers. But to think to whose instigation all this is originally owing, God forgive me, but with such usage I should have been with Lovelace before now. Yet remember, my dear, that the step which would not be wondered at from such a hasty-tempered creature as me, would be inexcusable in such a considerate person as you. After your mother has been thus drawn in against her judgment, I am the less surprised that your aunt Harvey should go along with her, since the two sisters never separate. I have inquired into the nature of the obligation, which Mr. Harvey's indifferent conduct in his affairs has laid him under. It is only, it seems, that your brother has paid off for him a mortgage upon one part of his estate, which the mortgagee was about to foreclose, and taken it upon himself. A small favour, as he has ample security in his hands, from kindred to kindred, but such a one it is plain as has laid the whole family of the Harveys under obligation to the ungenerous lender, who has treated him and his aunt too, as Miss Dolly Harvey has privately complained, with the less ceremony ever since. Must I, my dear, call such a creature your brother? I believe I must, because he is your father's son. There is no harm, I hope, in saying that. I am concerned that you ever wrote at all to him. It was taking too much notice of him. It was adding to his self-significance, and a call upon him to treat you with insolence, a call which you might have been assured he would not fail to answer. But such a pretty master as this, to run riot against such a man as Lovelace, who had taught him to put his sword into his scabbard when he had pulled it out by accident. These indoor insolents, who, turning themselves into bugbears, frighten women, children, and servants, are generally cravens among men. Were he to come fairly across me, and say to my face some of the free things which I am told he has said of me behind my back, or that, as by your account, he has said of our sex, I would take upon myself to ask him two or three questions, although he were to send me a challenge likewise. I repeat, you know that I will speak my mind, and write it too. He is not my brother. Can you say he is yours? So for your life, if you are just, you can't be angry with me. 
for would you side with a false brother against a true friend a brother may not be a friend but a friend will always be a brother mind that as your uncle tony says i cannot descend so low as to take very particular notice of the epistles of these poor souls whom you call uncles yet i love to divert myself with such grotesque characters too but i know them and love you and so cannot make the jest of them which their absurdities call for you chide me my dear for my freedoms with relations still nearer and dearer to you than either uncles or brother or sister you had better have permitted me uncorrected to have taken my own way do not use those freedoms that naturally arise from the subject before us and from whom arises that subject i pray you can you for one quarter of an hour put yourself in my place or in the place of those who are still more indifferent to the case than i can be if you can but although i have you not often at advantage i will not push you permit me however to subjoin that well may your father love your mother as you say he does a wife who has no will but his but were there not think you some struggles between them at first gout out of the question your mother when a maiden had as i have heard and it is very likely a good share of those lively spirits which she liked in your father she has none of them now how came they to be dissipated ah my dear she has been too long resident in trephonius's cave i doubt let me add one reflection upon this subject and so entitle myself to your correction for all at once it is upon the conduct of those wives for you and i know more than one such who can suffer themselves to be out-blustered and out-gloomed of their own wills instead of being fooled out of them by acts of tenderness and complaisance i wish that it does not demonstrate too evidently that with some of the sex insolent control is a more efficacious subduer than kindness or concession upon my life my dear i have often thought that many of us are mere babies in matrimony perverse fools when too much indulged and humoured creeping slaves when treated harshly but shall it be said that fear makes us more gentle obligers than love forbid it honour forbid it gratitude forbid it justice that any woman of sense should give occasion to have this said of her did i think you would have any manner of doubt from the style or contents of this letter whose saucy pen it is that has run on at this rate i would write my name at length since it comes too much from my heart to disavow it but at present the initial shall serve and i will go on again directly a h end of letter three